millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in. Great guest today, Matt Fouts. He's the Associate Director of Tanganyika Wildlife Park. It officially opened here in Goddard, Kansas in August of 2008. And for the past 11 and a half years, they've grown this into one of the largest family-owned zoos in the country from nothing, from scratch. They didn't receive any government funds or grants. They did it all with hard work, dedication, and an entrepreneurial passion to be stewards for animals in their care and in their wild. They've grown over to 40 exhibits featuring 10 interactive stations, over 400 animals, and 37 successful breeding programs. They are, and they continue to be, a world leader in breeding rare and endangered species, and it's a really unique business to have here right in Kansas. Matt, is the son, his father, and his parents opened the business, started the business, and Matt initially didn't want to have anything to do with it. But he gravitated back to it after working in various organizations in the insurance field uh, and accounting, and he came back when the family decided to kind of go public and open this to the public and make it an exhibit. And he saw an opportunity to build a business, to create a company culture, and that's what we talk a lot about on this episode, about the intentionality of creating a culture. Matt's very passionate about it. You know it's something we talk about here on the show quite a bit, how to be intentional about that culture, because you have one whether you like it or not, so you might as well be intentional about it. And and Matt truly understands that. I really appreciated Matt's authenticity, his openness, his honesty about where he's at as a leader. I think you can uh, relate with that. He's you know in the midst of his career, he talks about what he didn't know in the beginning and what he's struggling with now and where he hopes to go in the future. And it's a really fun and impactful conversation. I think you're really going to get a lot out of it. This show is brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. It's been a real honor to have them sponsor this Equity Bank series where we focus on entrepreneurship and leadership. I truly believe Equity Bank is a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. That's why it's been so fun and an honor to have them part of the show. It's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. Equity Bank is now listed on the NASDAQ exchange, and they have locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And clearly, I believe that this team at Equity Bank knows how to build for growth. So if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, and you're looking for something different, and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, I encourage you to check out Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com and learn more. Thanks for listening to the show. Now let's join our conversation with Matt Fouts the Associate Director at Tanganyika Wildlife Park here on Dose of Leadership. 
Well, Matt, thanks for taking the time to, to visit with me today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. You know, I'm a big fan of Tanganyika. Uh, we're season pass holders. I've taken my kids there, you know, multiple times. But for the people that are listening, and particularly people who don't live in this area, what is the Tanganyika Wildlife Park, and, and how did it come into existence? Yeah, so, uh, you know, Tanganyika's family-owned. It's owned by my family. Uh, it started out as a breeding facility over 30 years ago. I mean, uh, my, my parents' dream was to build a world-class breeding facility for rare and endangered species. And that's kind of how we started out um, until 2000 and, well, early 2000s, we started kind of doing some private tours in the backyard. Yeah. And that just continued to grow and grow and to a point where we kind of had to make a choice, like, h- how do we either expand this? Um, and then just in that process, we were like, you know what, let's just uh, build the whole zoo from the ground up. And awesome. so, so that's ultimately what we did, but it was centered around, uh, in addition to the breeding, it was centered around connecting people to the natural world, right? Because that's what people loved the most about those private tours we were doing. We did a tiger demo. We did giraffe feeding. We were one of the first zoos in the country to do giraffe feeding. Right. Uh, you could feed the lemurs through the fence at that time. And and through those connections, we realized that we could strengthen strengthen the connection between people and the natural world. So you're a little kid when this is happening, right? And so you've always been around. Your, your, your parents – we're breeding these exotic animals. I mean, and that's all you've ever known, right? As a kid growing up? Yeah, yeah for the most part. I mean, it, it hasn't been. Uh, so, so when I was real young, it was definitely the primary focus uh, for, for my parents, or at least my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I got older, though, he he he's an entrepreneur. Like he, he right. started a number of different businesses. He had a elk business. He had a vitamin business for a while. Uh, he actually uh, was a construction. He built homes and developed. Uh, so he's got some developments around town that were his at one time. And so he, he kind of diversified into other things. And the animals were just kind of there. I don't want to say as a hobby, but he had them and we still bred them some. But it wasn't his primary focus. And then uh, at some point early, you know, like I said, once we started doing the tours and decided to grow, he started shifting his focus back into uh, what he's always been passionate about. And that was the animals. And so, uh, you know. The, the, the great thing for him for the park, because uh, he's not he's not an overly big people person, right? Like most of my kids, grow, uh, my friends growing up or kids in my, my school growing up, like they never saw my dad. My mom, very active. My dad, not as much. So he's not as much of a people person, but he's definitely an animal person. And the parks allowed him to really or allowed us to, to take on a lot of new species that we wouldn't otherwise be able to support financially. Uh, you know, like the penguins, because they eat a ton of fish and they're very expensive. Or the rhinos. I mean, they're probably the most expensive thing we have to feed and, and take care of. But we wouldn't be able to do that without the, the public support of the park, basically. Yeah, it's it's interesting, too, especially the, 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 the reach. Talk a little bit about the reach or at least some of the um, unique aspects. That's, I mean, a lot of people don't realize right here in the center of the country, this provides all over the world, right? I mean, give me some of those examples that, that people may may or may know about, may be familiar with. So as far as the encounters at the yeah. park, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so I mean, and, and and most of what we have at the park, it, we're not the only ones or even the first ones to do it. There, there's a couple exceptions, but we've tried to take the best ideas from around the world. And so, uh, you know, we have a lot of encounters with the giraffe feeding, like I mentioned, we have the, the ringtail lemur island where you go on the island now and, and hand feed these lemurs. And there's lemur walkthroughs all over Europe, but there were very few in the United States. And so that's kind of where we took that idea. Our kangaroo walkabout, again, you go to Australia and every zoo there has them like we have goat petting zoos, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and you can feed them and stuff. So I was like, why don't we, let's do that here. And we work towards that. So you can go in and you can pet the kangaroos now and, you know, feeding the lorikeets, uh, 
you know, one thing that is unique to us is we do penguin swims, right? It's the mm-hmm. only place I know of in North America and the only place I've heard of in, even in Europe where you can actually get in and swim with African penguins. I mean, there's plenty of places you can swim with dolphins or, or whatever, but the only place that I know of uh, that you can swim with penguins. So we do have some unique experiences like that, but it's all about finding different ways to connect people to the natural world, right? Yeah. Uh, animals in the, in the wild, they're, they're losing. And and especially with younger generations and, and just the sheer amount of information, right, the millennials and on down, like if you can't find a way to s- strengthen that connection uh, on a more emotional level beyond just I'm going to go to a zoo and see animals 150 feet off or whatever it is, if you can't find a way to do that, then then people are going to care less and animals are going to suffer even more. Right. right? So so we we really take that. And that's you know it's the core of our mission is strengthening that connection, and uh, and so those encounters are a great way we do that. What about relationships with with other zoos? I mean, do you do you provide any uh, you have any relationships or with them to provide animals for them? Has that happened in the past? Yeah. So you know, I mean. What a lot of people maybe don't realize unless you're in the industry is that we have a world-class collection of animals at the park. Yeah, and, sure. and it's even something I took for granted because I grew up with not all, all the ones we have today, but a lot of the ones that we have, I, I took it for granted. But the more directors from different zoos and, and different places from around the world have come to the park and they're like, wow, you have that animal? Wow, you have that animal? And and I've come to realize that we have a truly special collection, especially being a, a family-owned facility, one. Mm-hmm. And two, um, we are accredited by uh, – there, there's an organization called the Zoological Association of America, ZAA. We're accredited by them. It's different from like AZA, which is like what Sedgwick County or a lot of the big zoos are accredited. Mm-hmm. Some are both. A lot are one or the other. Um, we are accredited, just not by AZA. And AZA, I would say, controls majority of the species and the animals in the, in the country. So for us to have the collection of animals we have is is, is pretty amazing. And so, um, but that's because of Jim's relationships and working with other zoos. So yeah. To answer your question, I, I mean, he's been in the industry for forty years, and and he knows, you know. So we, yeah, we do stuff all the time with San Diego Zoo, and um, you know, we're getting ready to get an Okapi. Uh, from Cincinnati, and we—I mean, you know—we've done stuff with Denver, Kansas City, a little bit with Sedgwick County. Um, so, so yeah, we've worked with zoos all over the country and all over the world. I mean, we—we've got stuff in from Singapore Zoo. We got some stuff coming from Australia. I mean, we—we we work with zoos all over the world. Yeah. And what's your current role right now? How did you? How did? What are you doing now? Yeah. So I'm the assistant director at the park, and so my—you uh, know—kind of early on, we we had the park divided, if you will. Uh, my dad did all the animal stuff, and I did all the people stuff, and. And so, you know, my title is assistant director. And, and for the most part, though, I oversee anything people-oriented. So if you come out to the park and you visit it, like, that's my responsibility. Uh, you know, any education programs we do or if you have your wedding there, those are my responsibility. But then also anything internal, so accounting, marketing, HR, you know, anything that has to do with people is pretty much my realm of responsibility. And that, so you're wearing a lot of hats, right? Yes, a lot of hats. But most people just know me by the one that I'm wearing yeah, right now. Yeah, that's a great not hat, that, by the way. I that. wish people could see yeah, it. Not that's that. So if I go anywhere without this hat on, they're like, oh, Matt, I, I didn't even recognize you. <laughs> right. But. That's really cool. So, I, But I, as you were growing up, I'm guessing, and tell me if this is true or not, that you had a different dream, right? There was gonna, you, you wanted to be something else, and now you're back at the park. What is it you wanted to be? Well, you know, I, I didn't know – I didn't have a set goal. I think um, my family also owned a group of insurance companies. Mm-hmm. And so I think in some way I always thought I would kind of maybe be doing that. I just wanted to be doing business. I'm kind of a business nerd. Yeah. And so 
Um, I, I just wanted to be doing something business oriented. And, and so my degrees initially were in uh, IT, like CIS, computer information systems and marketing at, at Fort Hay State. And then I got my master's uh, from Wichita State and my MBA. And so all my degrees were business oriented. And I figured it might be something marketing. Um, but my emphasis was with an entrepreneurship. So anything business oriented. And um, so, so that's what I was going to do. I was going to do something, you know, a titan of industry, I guess, or something. But, <laughs> right. I, uh, but I did initially go to work for the insurance companies and was doing that. And, uh, and then we decided to kind of open the park. And, you know, for me, one day I, I was out on the Lemur Island because I was just doing that on the side, right? Yeah. I was, in the morning, I would go to the park for a few hours, work on some stuff, go to my real job, and then go back to the, the park and work until 11 o'clock at night and then repeat. And uh, one day I was out on the lemur island with some people showing them something and, you know, some lemurs were, were jumping on me and I was just kind of like, I think I want to do this, you know? Yeah. You, the business, talk to me about the business nerd side. What, why do you categorize it as being a nerd? What, what are you passionate about on the business side? Well, I, I guess, cause I, I like to, you know, I, I like to read a lot mm-hmm. um, and just different, different books. And, and that's kind of more what I, I geek out on a little bit, the, the numbers and the data and, and those kinds of things. So I, I really like those aspects uh, of it. And so I, maybe that's where the nerd part yeah. part comes in. But you said something, and you said it early in the, the pre-interview when we were talking before we were recording, and it, and it struck my curiosity that you said, I really like being around the people. I like the people aspect of it. I like the people aspect for the, the customers that come in from the educational, but I also like the, the team member side of it, working with the people, right? It is all about the people. Right, yeah. So so part of that transition from the other was, uh, you know, where the insurance companies were and stuff that, I mean, that culture, all that stuff was really defined and kind of set. And I, I was working my way into it. But with a park, you had something brand new and fresh. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I wasn't going to be in more of a position to really kind of help create and build and grow that business and, and also try to help form that culture in a way that I, I wanted it to be. And so uh, to me, that was that was almost the greatest opportunity uh, in a way. I mean, because I think at that time, I didn't even realize the impact we would be having on people as far as the connections, right? Because this was still kind of an early thing. And we were just growing what we were already doing, you know, four or 5,000 people. I mean, that's not like a huge impact. And so the connection part for me really that that passion came later. Yeah, but you, I liked how you had that awareness to be intentional. That hey, this is an opportunity to shape the culture how I wanted it. How did you want it? What was what was <laughs> what were you hoping to right? accomplish? I, 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 I think that's kind of one of those things. Uh, I knew kind of what I didn't want. Yeah, we. I, I that's where I was kind of where I was going because. I, I, I know it happened for me and a lot of people you come to, you, you get involved in something and sometimes from negative experiences or quasi-negative experiences, you go, I don't want to be like that. I don't right. want to work in an environment like that. I don't want to be this type of leader, right? Was that what well, happened? Yeah. And so uh, yeah, I, I would say I've grown a lot as a leader over the last this, – this is the 11th year the park's been open. And I know I've grown a lot as a leader. What – what I didn't realize, so when I when I went over to the park, we had three employees. Right. So it's a lot easier to shape a culture when you have three employees. Sure. <laughs> However, I didn't have the experience or the knowledge to, to effectively do it at that time. Right. And so I, I feel like I have more of that knowledge now. However, our team at, at its peak this year was 92 people. And so that culture over that last 10 years has kind of defined itself. Sure. And so it has been a struggle – uh, it, it it became this kind of wild animal, if you will, uh, <laughs> right. 
And and so now the last year or two, we've been doing our best to try and kind of tame that animal because, yeah. you know, if, if you're not intentional with your culture, it it, it will define itself. And, and I wasn't being real intentional because I, I didn't know what I needed it to do. Yeah. Right? Like, and so, and so I, I'm now kind of have a much better idea of what I want it to be, but it, it it's it's grown up. So so now I have to kind of train it. I love that you said that. You're absolutely right. I mean, you're going to have a culture whether you like it or not, mm-hmm. right? And I like the analogy of like taming a wild animal. Except with three employees, you had an idea and like, oh, and you think it's just going to kind of happen. And then one day you wake up and you realize you're on a bucking bronco, right? Yeah. And then that's when the awareness of the intentionality is set. And it's like, okay, what do we do? How do we tame this? How do we steer this culture intentionally where we want it to go? Yeah, because I, I, I think I, I read it in Entree, Entree Leadership first with Dave Ramsey, like in one of his books. But just, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, your, your greatest asset is you, but you're also your greatest weakness. And, and that's what I definitely realized as far as culture went is I don't have the experience and knowledge I need because I was trying to do things and I was trying to be a good leader, but I, I just I wasn't doing a very good job because I just didn't know enough and, and didn't have enough experience, frankly. So, you know, I needed to read. I needed to learn. I had to grow as a leader in order to to be a more effective one to help help, help that culture yeah, grow. I love how you're saying that. And where where do you think, if you look back 11 years and where you've come from a leader in the last 11 years, what has maybe been your biggest area of growth or kind of the, maybe the biggest Oh, wow. You know, do you, can you think of anything specifically that kind of woke you up or kind of like, okay, I, I need to be better at doing this? Yeah, I, I think the the growth part of it, right? Like being able to grow that, the limitation that you're, you're going to limit your business yeah. a, as the leader. I, th- I think that was a big moment for me. Mm-hmm. And after that, I started doing a lot more reading mm-hmm. and, you know, finding these different leadership authors and, and some of those kinds of things so that, so that I could grow and try to be better. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of this special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. I can see it in your face, and I know what you're getting. We we never feel like, and I think that's always going to be there. You're you're never going to be satisfied, and you're always going to feel like there's something more to do. Right. It's kind of like what I see, <laughs> and tell me if this is right or wrong, but I see like, oh yeah, I'm just going to be a good leader and do this, and then you you realize there's a lot I don't know, right? You hit that reeling, and having that awareness, like you said, that I'm the one that's limiting. 
It's that whole leadership lid concept. I don't know right. if you've heard it, right? Yeah. It's like your leadership ability. If you're the one that has the influence over the organization, which you do in your role, how are, if you're on a scale of one to 10, if you're a four at best, you may have a bunch of eight and nines around you, but if you have the influence, the best the organization is going to be is a four, right. probably going to be a two, right? Right, right. And so the moment you start having that awareness, and how can I get myself to a six and eight and nine, which is going to take a lifetime, right? right? Then the organization starts to grow. I, I love that you, that awareness has happened, but I see it in your face. It's like, <laughs> when am I going it, to? It's a, it's a life. It never right. stops, right? Well, and, and I think you know other things that were that were helpful is even if as I started to develop, okay, these are the traits or these are the the core values essentially that I want us to have. You have to find a way to define those yeah. things so that. Just because you know them doesn't mean you know, and, and effectively communicate them to your team mm. so that so that they can get them. And I think the other thing that I realized too is uh, the importance. And, and uh, in my master's program, I, I it didn't click to me, of course, because master's programs are obviously usually designed for people that have already been in they're, they're already in their job or their career, right? And they come back and, and they get that business element that they maybe didn't get as an engineer or whatever it sure. is. I went straight into it because I was like, I'm going to knock this thing out, right? But I had no experience. So so you lose a lot out of that program because you have no basis to, right. or, or no application for it. And so it wasn't until actually I was in a leadership position for a while where some of those things clicked. But one of them was that, you, you know, you can't send a duck to Eagle School, right? Like if you, <laughs> right. if you hire a duck, you're going to have a duck. You're not going to turn them into Eagle. So that, that hiring process is obviously – super critical. So even if I know what I want, if I don't find people that want that same thing or have those skill sets, I mean, that was, that was a big, big thing too. Just trying to find, make sure you find the right people. And, and it was in the good to great book and, and built yeah. to last as well. Just, you know, getting the right people on the bus yeah. uh, to begin with and not just filling the bus full of people. Right. That was, oh, that was a big one too. You're speaking my language. It's so true. I mean, when I read good to great, you know, 15 years ago, that's when it clicked for me, right? It's like, yeah, it is about getting the right. Because I think I, I think I arrogantly or naively, when I got out of the Marine Corps into the business world, I thought it's okay if I've got a bunch of ducks, I can make them eagles. Mm-hmm. And then you realize how fruitless of an effort that is, right? You do have to, at least even if you do get a duck, at least the potential that they're gonna, you, you know, that they know they can be eagles someday, and then realize that you can't motivate them to do anything. They have. <laughs> yeah. That's why you got to find the right people on the bus and then get them in the right seat in the bus, as Jim Collins puts uh-huh. it, right. And that yeah. takes a lot of work. It's, yeah, it's not it easy. Yeah. So, so you know, a lot of the efforts I was putting in, I was just like, I'm these, you know, they're they're for no good. I mean, because it just they're not yeah. going to get there unless, like you said. I mean, I, I think people can maybe turn themselves into eagles, absolutely. But but you can't make no. you know you can't do it for them, and so that that's that's also really hard because especially if you can see the potential in the person, they just aren't. It hasn't clicked for them, and yet. they don't see it in themselves yet. But that's I think that's where you can, and I don't call it motivation. I think it's just uh, you know number one, creating the environment where they can soar, mm-hmm. but they're gonna have to they have to do it right. And you can nudge them. Right. You can push them out of the nest. <laughs> you can make the environment where you're challenging them. You can make things a little uncomfortable for them and, and push them and see, just like a coach would, right? Right. And say, you can do this and putting them in those situations that, that pushes them, but you can't motivate them, right? 
No. You can't you can only hit them over the head with a wiffle ball bat so many times before right, they start. Right. And yeah. even then you're not gonna get that much out of them. No, you, know? you it'll it'll be incremental at best, right? And then, yeah. and then they'll eventually revert back to Absolutely what they are. I love that. I mean it's it's amazing to watch. how old can I ask how old old you are? I'm, 38. Yeah. So, and I look back, I'm 51, and I think back at the same time when I started, that thing started clicking to me in the in my mid-30s and this and that, kind of naively and arrogantly thought, I didn't know what I didn't know, you know, right, and the yeah. tw- every leader kind of goes through the, those challenges, and it's it's interesting to see where you're at in your journey and this and that. I love the awareness and the intentionality of it. Um, it seems like you're aware you're being extremely intentional about it now, right? Yeah, trying, and, you know, we've got... Uh, you know, most of the team at my level now, I think we're all on board and we're really starting to make uh, some great strides as far as getting that culture trained, like yeah. like I was talking about earlier. And so it's been it's been pretty exciting the last couple of years uh, just trying to get all those in place. But but I also realized be, because not only I mean, we kind of have two sets of people that work at the park. You have your career people, so to speak, the the, the zookeepers where that's what they've chosen to do is their profession for their life. And so they're full time year sure. round. But then we also have a ton of seasonal people and right. those are majority high school, college kids. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get some older, but, but for the most, that's the the bulk of that. And so they're, they're very different places in their lives. And, and so you kind of how you deal with them is different. But, but I realized, and I hope that someday the park can be, an opportunity for especially those young people, right? Like I, I almost want it to be like, you know, send your kids to work at the park because not only do I want to help get them some experience, but I want to help develop them as as, as future yeah. leaders. And that, that for me, that would be kind of a, a dream because I know we have an opportunity there to really engage some of these, these kids and, and get them more in that mindset. So whatever they decide to do when they get older, you know, they have the skills necessary. I, I love that intentionality behind that. I, I wish more organizations would kind of put some intention behind it. I mean, you look at the places where – and I, I know, and I got um, four daughters, and two of them are in their twenties. And but I got two that are teenagers in high school, and they're starting their first jobs. And, and you know, the traditional fast food restaurants. What are the jobs that you get into sixteen? And, and I remember when I got a job at sixteen. But if you could think, if if the intentionally behind it is like, well, I'm going to make this a place where you know Chick Fil A probably is pretty good at it, mm-hmm. right? Right. They put yes. that in because the bulk of their work staff are those first time employees. You know, the high schoolers, the part time jobs. But they put some intentionality behind, I'm going to make this a great place to work and lay a foundation that's going to help you become a better leader someday. At, you know, at the worst case, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay a foundation. You're going to go off and you can do something great and make the planet a better place to live. Right. right? That's And that's a noble goal. Best case, you stick with me for the next 20, 30 years and become a future leader in my organization. And that's what I'm hearing you say. That it, yeah, that would be. And, you know, uh, I hired my operations captain. She She came on at 16. And she's been with me for 10 years now. Yeah. And, you know, she's the only one that's been with me that long other than uh, someone that I kind of hired for a more permanent position. But, but, but yeah, I mean, if I can, if I can get three, four, five years out of them, you know, if they're late high school and then into college from one, you know, Wichita State or somewhere close here that I can keep them for several years. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And, and maybe I get to keep one or two even longer, but. Well, and and that's right. And and that's, that's a, a realistic, you know, that's kind of icing on the cake, right? Mm-hmm. But I love kind of what what I'm hearing you've kind of matured into or you're maturing into as a leader, as an organization. It's like, hey, we have an obligation here. You didn't say it in these words, but we have an obligation or an opportunity to, you know, make the campsite better than we found it, right? Right. And 
and being in business, yeah, it is about making a profit so we can continue to expand and grow and give opportunities, but it's an opportunity to develop other develop leaders into being better than, than, than they are when they walked in the door, right? Right. Yeah. And I mean, it makes everybody better, right? Like it makes the park better. It makes them better. Um, makes the world better. So it's definitely all, all ships rise. But also the mission of the organization, we're going back to the animal piece of it. I'm curious because, you know, and as my family, we're animal lovers. I mean, I've got, it's almost like Dr. Doolittle's house at my place. I get, you know, four dogs, five cats, two guinea pigs, two horses, you know, it's, crazy right and I think growing up I wasn't a cat person I was only a dog you know but I'm now just like animals have made me a better human being right yes like caring for animals being around animals I think it helps you become a better steward of on this planet if I can I mean that's what I believe now what are your thoughts of when you hear me say that oh yeah definitely again I I took the animals for granted growing up around them you know Mm -hmm. and and I think even my kids do a little bit my my son had a realization the other other day. He had some friends with him, and they went over to look at the new lions. Uh, my my dad was showing him the new lions, and and I think he could see how excited all his friends were. He liked the lions are new, so they're still kind of cool to him. But he could see in all his friends like how how amazed they were, and he was. I think he had actually an actual moment where he was like, "This is pretty cool. Like these animals really impact people." And I, I kind of mentioned it earlier. Initially, for me, it was the business. But after we'd been open through for three or four years, I realized the impact that the animals were having on people. You know, uh, you know, we, we had a group from Envisional come out here and there, and you know, people with visual impairments. And there's a girl that's blind sitting on the lemur island, and she's never seen a lemur, but that lemur jumps up, crawls on her lap, and she can feel how big it is and and how heavy it is. And, and get a real sense of what that lemur looks like, uh, you know, or just people walking through the ticket booth and they see, you know, right now we have the largest herd of giraffes in the country and they walk in and they see all those giraffes, different heights, you know, no fences in between them and there's a barrier, but no fences and, and you, you literally see their jaw drop, right? Um, but, but he we even had a, a gentleman shared a story on Facebook and I've tried to find it, but he, he was going to commit suicide mm. and, uh, came out to the park and was on Lemur Island and something about that encounter. You know, he didn't say anything to anybody. None of us knew it. But something about that encounter touched him. And he made the decision he wanted to live and that he wasn't going to kill himself. And, um, you know, we didn't do that as humans or people. You know, it, it, it was the animals. And and so, yeah, very much so the animals have an impact on yeah, us. Yeah, and you, and you walk through the park, and again, you got so many unique animals there, but even then it doesn't even scratch, doesn't even come close to scratching the surface of the diversity of all the life that's out there, right? And I think that's, I think when you... I don't know. And, and having pets is one thing, and but even, but even then, and taking it a step further, you know, having the type of animals you have at your park, there's something there that kind of reminds you of, I don't know, and maybe that's what the guy felt, the connectedness that we have, right, that we're not here. We have, to me, it's like, particularly when I walk through the park and you see that, and even that small slice of diversity and saying, wow, look at all this kind of weird, unique stuff, that there is something more, there, there's an, more of an obligation than I think that we realize when we're just kind of going from A to B, going to my nine to five, you know what I mean? Yeah. And run the kids, shuttle them back and forth and this <laughs> and that. And I think that's the power of animals and the power of, I think, of your business is that it can do that, right? It can remind you that. And it's not like the zoos of the past. It's not like, you know, this isn't 1895 and you're not 
you know, Barnum and Bailey with <laughs> elephants with chain around their neck, right? You're trying to get them as close to the natural environment as you, right. as and, you can. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I know circuses have, have a bad rap, but um, that's a, probably a whole other podcast. But, but, you know, but they, they did some great things. Um, you know, and I think ultimately, though, it, it comes down to, you know, humans are at their best when they're, they're giving, right? Like, yeah. When, when, you, when, it, when you're not focused on yourself and you're focused on others, and, and you're giving, and not necessarily just monetarily, but just of yourself, your time, your talent, your treasure. Like when when people are giving, that's when humans are at their very best. And and I think you find people are at their happiest. Yeah. Because they're not being self-centered. They're they're focused on others. And and animals, like you said, give us that opportunity, right? You have to humble yourself to to serve those animals and, and it gets you outside of you. And, and it shifts that focus and, and you, you know, when you're doing good for others, whether it be people or animals, um, it's always very fulfilling. I think that's the way we were built. It's the way we were created. And, and so animals very much provide us that opportunity to, to humble ourselves and to, to serve another being. And, and, and it, yeah, it, it wakes that part inside of us. You summarize that beautifully. Exactly what you said was what I was trying to articulate. And I was having trouble getting it out. But the way you capture that is exactly what I was trying to get at. That's, be, that's right. It's exactly right. I mean, it is about adding value to others and giving of others. And that's when we're at our best. And I think we do. I think when we start doing it and we do it more and more, it becomes like breathing. But I think, I don't know how we're born, culture, everything else. We're kind of selfish pigs, right? Yeah. And and animals can kind of, to me anyway, it recenters me. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it brings out the giving, the nurturing, the empathetic side of me, which is when I'm at my best, right? Mm-hmm. I can be the opposite of that pretty easy, right? Yeah. Well, and then, you know, there's, yeah, a world full of influences turning it back on you and, and, and things that maybe aren't good for you, right? And yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, that that's that opportunity where here's this animal or whatever it is, your dog or, you know, something else that just, it has your attention and it really allows you that time to kind of refocus and, and serve. And it's pretty amazing. Awesome. What's next for you guys? What are you looking down the road? What are you excited about? Yeah. So, I mean, it, we're at a, a really exciting time. You know, we hit that 10 year mark. We finally, in 2017, we, we finally hit that break even point yeah. in terms of business. And, uh, and so while we're not generating millions and millions of dollars to, to help new expansion, we do actually have a lot slated. So this next season in 2020, we're opening a brand new splash park, which oh, cool. which is very much a, a, a business play because it, it should help us generate more revenue, which was going to fund a bunch of new projects following that. So after that, we have a new education center that's going to come online with a uh, you know, much bigger nursery, small small show and tell area. And, and some new new stuff, a lot of stuff for my team, which I'm really excited for. You know, I want to put in a kind – of, have you seen we, we Bought a Zoo with Matt Damon? Yeah. Did you ever see it? Okay, yeah. so, like, they have that little bar that, like, is at the zoo. Right. I, I, I don't know of any other zoos that have something like that, but I was like, I want something like that. So so we, I want to in, integrate some stuff for my team in, into that building as well. But, but it will have several new exhibits. And then after that, we want to remodel the original area we built. So the original barn we built out there was 1986. And so we potentially are going to knock those down and rebuild that area, add 10, 15 new exhibits. So that would be like 22. And then 23, we're already going to be starting on it pre- previously this year, actually. But we're, we, you know, we want to open a safari park. Oh, wow. Out to the west where the field is when you come in. And mm-hmm. so 
the next three, four years, uh, potentially you're going to see a tremendous amount of growth out at the parks. So. I love it. I love the forward thinking. I love the intentionality behind it, you know, business with a purpose. And you definitely seem like you're tapped into your mission, the, the why you exist, and, and and it looks like great things are happening. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, money's nowhere in our mission, but but it is necessary. And that's, yeah. kind, of my, that's kind of my role, right, right. Is, is to like, you know, okay, uh, you know, dad or Jim, yeah, you want to get these animals and that's great because we can do some awesome things with them, but we have to pay for them. Right. That's and right. so, so yeah, that, that's very much my focus. I mean, you can be as altruistic about it as you want, but the bottom line is if, if you can't pay to feed it or pay to take someone to take care of it, you, you can't have You're it. You're defeating so, the purpose. Right? right. So, so you have to find that balance that a lot of think other zoos don't because most of them are subsidized to some degree, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the county or the city or, whoever actually owns them, maybe they have a big endowment, is pumping money into them regardless of whether they're open or, or not. And so that's something we, you know, we don't have the liberty of. When we close in the winter in November and we don't open till March, it's over a million dollars now. Oh, my God. To survive those four months. So you got to, I mean, again, that's where the, the entrepreneurial creative side has to come out, right? Right. So, so you know, we're we're saving as much money as we can throughout the year to just survive the winter Get through the winter and uh, we're finally getting to a point now where we can we can actually save enough for that and then even start to to do some more bigger capital improvements because a new splash park project for us is, is it's going to be our biggest project ever i think it'll be around a million dollars yeah and um that's that's a massive undertaking so exciting man yeah i mean i love i love your philosophy i love your growth as a leader looking at you watching and seeing where you're at and I, I I remember when I was your that age, which wasn't that long ago, but I mean it's still, <laughs> but still I mean it's amazing that I love the intentionality and in where you're going and, and and the intentionality behind the park and it's just it's been fascinating having you come and sit, sit down and talk with me. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about Tanganyika? Um, well, our website is twpark.com. They can always go out there and, and and learn you know a lot about the park. But if they want to get in touch with me directly, I'm I'm there five, six days a week. Uh, but but also my email is just my name, Matt Fouts at twpark.com. They're welcome to email me if, if they want or have questions more directly. But I also monitor our Facebook page and all that kind of stuff as well. So, um, you know, there's lots of different ways to get a hold of us. Great. I have links to this on the post. So if you want to go to doseofleadership.com and look up my conversation with Matt, uh, all the links to the park uh, and his Facebook page will be there. And Matt, thanks for coming on the show. It's yeah, been so thank much you for fun. having me. All right, man. Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series of Dose of Leadership brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Make sure to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts, all of my episodes, and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day.